Welcome to Money in the Mind. Join Andy, a mental health therapist, and Aaron, an accountant, as they explore personal finance, psychology, and provide resources to help on your financial journey. Well, welcome to Money in the Mind. Today, it's just Andy Solo, which does not sound as good as Ron Solo. If you remember a handful of many episodes back, Ron did a podcast episode by himself. So I can't be one of by that bald-headed beauty. And so I'm going to do my own. Anyway, this is episode 70, not as nice as the last one. And yeah, just gonna kind of riff by myself. So I decided to make this more distinctly mental health related and a little bit less on the money side, mainly because I'm a buffoon compared to Ronald McDonald when it comes to money. Anyway, so I interviewed, actually that's a really poor use of words. I just straight up asked my clients in real time what are some mindsets or techniques or things that we've talked about in therapy that have really stuck with them and that have helped them a lot? And they have been so gracious to offer me some of those insights. And I want to share them with you. I know some of these things I talk about periodically throughout episodes. So I thought it'd be kind of cool just to have one episode that has all of the mindset shifts or just benefits that real life clients use in their everyday life to help them out. So I'm essentially just going to kind of read them off. I have this like assortment of yellow post-it notes because Costco had obviously post-it notes and you can't buy like a package. It comes in a pack of like 9 billion post-its. So that is what I have now in front of me. So bear with me. I'm going to go one by one and just kind of explain how these things work and how they have benefited clients. So again, welcome to Money in the Mind, where hopefully we're going to teach you to manage your money and let it manage you through some of these really awesome real-life things that clients have uh, had work for them. All right. So first and foremost, there is a present timeline that I talk about. And it's kind of a cool thing, and I stole it from my therapist who stole it from the radio or a podcast. So shout out to Sarah listening to podcasts and sharing it with me, and so I can use it. So anyway, what I do, and I use my marker board a lot, so I might have to have you visually think with me, okay? So marker board. I draw a timeline, and on it, I pull, I put a singular horizontal line. I put a dash at the very left, a dash right in the middle, and a dash all the way to the right. And I essentially put birth all the way to the left, death all the way to the right, and present in the middle. Now, whether you are in the middle of your life, more toward the beginning or more toward the end, that doesn't matter. I don't care. Okay? It's a friggin' analogy. (laughs) So what I do is I ask the question, if you constantly live in the past, constantly live in the past. What kind of things do, what does that produce? And well, you know, regret or depression. And they say, absolutely. Now, what if we only live for the future? We're always planning. We're always thinking about what's going to happen in the future. And people say, well, you know, sound really, sounds stressful or, or anxious, right? And I said, absolutely. 
So we need to plant our feet firmly in the present, understand what's going on around us. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't learn from the past and we shouldn't plan for the future, but we live in the present knowing that we are planted firmly, we learn from our past, and we plan for our future. All right, so that's the first one. The next one's guided imagery. Now, guided imagery is kind of one of those hippy-dippy things, I guess you could say, that uh, has been going on for a while. It's a really good coping skill, but basically what you do is you picture somewhere calm. I always see it's a place, right? Either a house or something in nostalgia, like a grandparent's house, if that's a good memory for you, or an uncle and aunt, that's a good memory, or just blatantly you're in a cabin in the woods or in the mountains or in a beach house or calmly on the plains on a horse or something, anywhere that really brings you a sense of calm that you can just breathe and smile. You know, in the movies, how somebody goes, just kind of looks out over the horizon or whatever the heck they're looking at and just got that smile. Well, that's what we're talking about, okay? And I have them close their eyes for this and we talk about the sounds they hear and the smells they might smell and the, and the, the touch of maybe the sand or the bark on a tree or like the water in a stream or something like that or what do they taste in the air do they taste the salty breeze or the the clean crisp air or what what is that right and we try to encompass all five senses and what it does is it gives a sense of stability and calm in what could be a very erratic or irrational response to something like anxiety or depression so guided imagery is something that we use right in the moment for people the next thing we talk about is structuring time and being intentional. Now, every single person, not every single person, I'm not going to make black and white statements here, but many Americans are very guilty of saying the phrase, I'm just too busy. I'm just too busy. Now, when I have a client that says that, I simply respond, if I have good rapport with them, I would never say this in the first handful of sessions until... I have some good rapport and I can kind of give this as a bit of a challenging statement, but I say, what I hear is you're not making certain things a priority in your life. I guess that's what that statement means is I'm too busy. It's like, well, I'm just not prioritizing certain things in my life, right? Now, if you aren't intentional with your time and or money, somebody else will be. But that's what I like to say is if you are not intentional with your time and or money, someone else will make those decisions for you. So when you look at just a basic week, 168 hours, what does that look like for you? How much are you sleeping? How much are you working? How much are you eating? How much are you driving? How much are you spending with your kids or on your phone or playing a game or watching TV or reading a book? Or what, what does that number look like? And that really kind of gives us a good sense of how we spend our time and do we like how we're spending our time? Kind of like we do the same thing with a budget. Do you like how you're spending your money? Maybe you have to spend it like that, right? If you're if you're making a little bit less than then maybe you you need to survive and maybe take a different look at that. But we do that same with our time. Now, how can we make that more intentional? I'm intentionally going to be on my phone for one hour a day. And you structure that in. I'm intentionally going to work for three hours in a row, take a 30-minute break, and work for another three hours. 
being more in control of your time. Okay. So that's what I do with that. The next one that I have been told that works really, really well for somebody is writing a letter and then burning it, right? Now, this is after we've processed some trauma, which basically means just talk about that trauma and get it out in a sense that clients don't feel judged or misheard or just they 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 feel like they could really get that out, okay? Now... What I do in a particular instance to where maybe write a letter to somebody, maybe it's a letter that to somebody that hurt them, that they're never going to get an apology from, or maybe it's a letter to a loved one or somebody that's essentially traumatized them in their life. And they write a letter to this person making a stand and saying the words to them that they couldn't say in the time that they were being hurt or abused or traumatized in any sense. And after they write those things down, and we've said this before in other episodes, when you make something tangible, such as speaking it into existence or writing it into existence, we can start working with it. What does that word mean? What did that mean? How did that feel to say those things? And that way, those things don't have any more power over us. So anyway, after this letter is written, then then sometimes I encourage them to do something with the letter to let it go, whether that's rip it into a million pieces, put it through a paper shredder, burn it. If you have like a little fire pit or something like that, or I don't know, do you have access to acid and just melt it away? I don't know anyway, but that's a way of catharsis that seems to really stick with people. Another thing that I've been told is listing values. So I like to have a lot of my clients list, list values, things that they are, that are really important to them. Now, by doing this, it really kind of helps assess how they're spending their time and how they're spending their money, primarily in my practice, to see if that's something that they really agree with, right? So if somebody loves the idea of having more experiences, but they're spending lots of money on clothes and video games or something like that, that aren't bringing them a certain kind of experience, which I think those can bring experiences, but it's always supposed to be, you know, you always got to specify what experiences mean. And maybe they, they aren't spending their time and money on experiences that are meaningful to them. So we ask, okay, well, how can we readjust that? Right. And that kind of goes back to that intentionality piece. Another thing said by the same client was naming positive things about themselves. So I really push people that have negative self-talk to find at least one or two things they love about themselves, whether that's something physical about them or something mental about themselves, like a characteristic trait or a personality trait or or, or something physical they really like about themselves. I don't care if it's their elbows. Just find something that they really do appreciate the, about themselves. And that's been something that's helped some people as well. One another thing that really um, has helped a lot of other people is the idea of reframing. So basically, reframing is the idea of looking at a situation a little bit differently, such as, oh, we'll, we'll take a race, for example, like, ah, man, I only got third place. That's not first or second. I got third place. A reframe would say, you know what? It does kind of suck that you got third or or I got third. Or if you're speaking to yourself, I got third place. And man, I really do wish I could win. 
This tells me that I can train a little bit harder or maybe have something to work for. Again, we're not blindly ignoring the fact that it does kind of suck to not come in first. And that's okay. How else are we going to look at that? Are we going to allow that third place to drag us down or find a way to find strength inside and uplift us? I've also been told that when working with people with their money, having a sense of vulnerability and allowing people to ask quote unquote stupid questions about money that quote unquote they should know already. And that's the sense of vulnerability. Like, oh, I feel so dumb that I did this or I bought this car or I live in this apartment or what have you. Right. And then accountability. So when I have somebody ha create a budget, I have them look at that budget multiple sessions after that to say, like, how are we following this? Is there a struggle with this? Is there something that you're not keeping in line? And so that accountability, accountability piece is something that other people have really found is has been helpful. Oh, my gosh. I got so many more things. <laughs> oh, I came up with a lot. I did not come up. Sorry. I brought a lot of sticky notes to this whole situation. I have really incredible clients that, uh, that really helped me out with this. Another thing is the vulnerability map. And I've absolutely talked about this on previous podcasts before, but the idea is on the marker board, going back to the marker board, we, so I draw, I draw, I write the word vulnerability off to the left. And then I do one of those weird, like, parentheses things. That like it goes up one way and then it goes down another way, right? It's all coming from vulnerability. I'm really bad at explaining this one, but um, going up one way, vulnerability, when met with empathy, then creates connection, okay? Vulnerability, when met with silence, secrecy, or judgment, creates shame. Now, shame can be beat by what we know is empathy and connection. Shame cannot exist with true, vulnerable connection. And through that shame, we hope to create resilience like we talked about in the last episode. So I've been told that that helps too. I also do this thing to where I give gold stars to my clients, not every single session, but when the clients really put forth like a good effort or they come to a good realization or they just, they show, sometimes just showing up for therapy can be really difficult. I give gold stars. <laughs> And while I think a lot of people would think that's juvenile or small or short, like a lot of my clients save their gold stars. They put them in places like in their therapy journal or on the rearview mirror, like below it, not on the actual mirror. Or um, one of my clients puts it on uh, a handle of a walker. And so they're reminded that like they, they're doing well and they're taking the steps necessary to keep doing better. Another one <clears throat> that somebody has told me is the idea of control and what reasonable expectations they can set for themselves. So we all try to, we all are guilty of controlling situations that we have no right controlling, right? A lot of that deals with expectations that we set for ourselves that are frankly unrealistic. So taking a step back, taking a breath, calming yourself down and asking, what are my expectations for myself in this situation? And are they realistic? And a lot of the times they're not. So reviewing your expectations that you have for yourself. And maybe this takes a little bit more insight. It'd be difficult. But again, other things that people have found really helpful. So another person just sent me kind of a long text. So I'm going to read the text. It doesn't have any 
it doesn't have any personal information. There is a name in here that I'm just going to block out and put John Doe in, okay? So this person said, it occurred to me that one of the most valuable techniques that you've given me is to sit and analyze a negative emotion, which we talk a little bit more in that. I was quick to let my monkey brain conclude that, quote unquote, this feels bad, so I just need to make the bad feeling stop. But just like this this client realized that they wanted validation from a certain person that they had really helped out in life, John Doe, they needed to hold and turn the negative feeling in the mind to discover the root. I wanted credit. So this person wanted credit for helping this person and they weren't getting that validation. So it really wasn't a negative external attack, but a longing from within that needed to be addressed. In that regard, the whole feeling and thought became smaller, more manageable, and was easy to heal. He's not promised to never feel that way again, but can identify it without having to invalidate somebody else's feelings. And it ultimately revealed the continuing theme that you need to cultivate self-worth from within. Which, kind of long story short, yes, it's better to seek internal validation and what you love about yourself and also why you might be experiencing what I would confer is a heavy emotion. Not necessarily negative or good emotion, but heavy emotion. Something we feel real hard that seems to weigh down on us quite a bit. And at the end of the day, what can we do to validate ourselves instead of always seeking that from other people? External validation isn't bad inherently. But it can ultimately lead to some, you know, if that's all we're ever seeking, we're never going to be fulfilled. Whew. Four more stickies to go. Breathing. Deep breathing. I know we've talked about this before. Another one of those kind of hippy-dippy therapy things. But if you do diaphragmic breathing or breathing from your stomach, right? If you lay on your back, you look up at the ceiling or the sky or the stars or wherever you are, and you breathe, you're almost forced to breathe from your diaphragm, okay? And I always call it trapezoidal breathing, right? You could also do um, an isosceles triangle breathing. No, isn't that an isosceles? Two sides are the same. One side's really, really long. Anyway, I always go four seconds in through my nose, hold for four seconds, and then breathe out of your mouth really thinly for eight seconds as if you're blowing your breath through a straw okay and then you can end it with holding for four and if you repeat that pattern you'll notice yourself so what your diaphragm does is it pushes up on your vagus nerve and it helps calm that vagus nerve and start sending so many shock waves through your brain saying panic 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 okay a couple real quick ones using the word and not but when giving feedback if you say something like, I really like that dress, but the socks you chose could have been different, right? You just invalidate the whole heck of the dress compliment. You say something like, I really like that dress. And can you tell me more about the socks that you chose, right? So they get a chance to kind of explain themselves why they chose the socks. Because quite frankly, stop dissing people's socks. Who cares, right? When giving feedback to a loved one hey, I really like how you talked to me about what was going on in your mind, and I hope we can continue doing that. Not, but that was a one-time off, and you need to do that every time, right? Anyway, there's a 10-10-10 rule, and I give credit to a patient at Lasting Hope when I work there. But the question is, when you get really frustrated, take a breath, close your eyes, stop, or you feel a really heavy emotion, 
and ask yourself, is this going to matter in 10 minutes? Yeah, it might. All right, well, is this going to matter in 10 hours? Yeah, maybe. Is this going to matter in 10 days? Chances are, if it's going to matter in 10 days, then we probably need to talk about it a little bit more in therapy. You can also make it 10 hours, 10 days, 10 weeks, just depending on perspective. I know a lot of clients and a lot of people, myself included, get in a shtick with the idea of black and white thinking. And what I mean by that is the idea that it's kind of an all or nothing. Nope, it's either this way or this way. Well, unfortunately, a lot of life has lived in the gray area. And if we don't learn to embrace the gray area, we get really hurt, right? And then whether that's managing expectations for ourselves or managing our emotions or our beliefs. So sometimes when things seem so easy or clean cut, a lot of chance, a lot of times they're not, especially when it comes to mental health. Let's look for the gray and try to be more comfortable with the gray. You can use a lot of these coping skills to help you be a little bit more comfortable to at least analyze that gray a little bit more. I know I've talked about the stock market analogy, right? That was from Morgan Housel's book where I got the idea of the stock market and kind of twisted it to my own mental health flavor of which he has the entire, I don't know, stock market S&P 500 since its inception in the 1800s. And although there's a lot of dips and downs, overall, it's always going up, much like your mental health. If you continue down the pathway of continued wanting to better yourself and get better and feel better, you will have backslides, you will have downturns. Overall, though, your journey is going to be on it up and up. And if you continue that up and up and you continue to put in the time and effort and take personal responsibility, have accountability and learn new perspective, it will continue to grow on the returns. Another one is the idea of the ski slope, <clears throat> narrow pathway analogy. So I always ask people, have you ever been sledding, skiing, snowboarding? Most people say yes, but some people say no. And they say, okay, what do you think is faster? If you wanted to go down a hill as fast as you possibly can, do you think that's on fresh powder? Or do you think that's on a, on a run or a hill or a slope that has had you know, a thousand people down it where all that snow's packed down, right? Kind of creates ice. Well, it's the latter, right? When somebody's gone down something a hundred million times, it tends to go faster and faster and faster. That's how our brain works, right? So our brain forms these neural pathways. And what it does is we learn through, and, and those cause like essentially reactions, right? So, and, and they serve a purpose at some form of time, right? Trauma forms neuropathways or just learning how to be a human forms neuropathways. Well, some of those neuropathways aren't necessarily healthy for us, right? Such as road rage. Talk about road rage, right? If somebody cuts you off. What do you do? Do you holler, yell, scream, throw somebody out the window? My wife literally had that example the other day. Somebody got so mad that somebody cut them off that they drove up beside them and threw a frozen water bottle at their car. Wowzers, right? Those are the kind of behaviors that we want to start curving. And so by learning how to go down the new slope, it might not be as fast, might not be as fun, it might not be familiar, but we've got to start learning how to carve out those new slopes or those healthier neuropathways in our head. Another one is called surf the wave, which is technically a DBT technique, which basically means picture it like a wave, like it's going to eventually come down and crash, but we just need to ride that wave and enjoy it for what it is. And even though it might be big and daunting and scary, 
it's eventually going to come to pass and calmer waters will prevail. Another one is thinking, right? Everyone's always like, well, I think this, I think this, I think this. And a lot of the times we make assumptions about ourselves. So I ask the question, well, what do you know? What do you know? You ask yourself, well, I think this person thinks this about me, or I think she's really mad at me. Well, what do we know? Why would she be mad at you? And think about that. Oh, maybe I don't know if she'd be mad at me. Okay. Rumination, reflection. We've talked about this before. Rumination is the idea that we kind of go down the old rabbit hole. Something gets in our head and we just spiral. It keeps going over and over and over and over and over. And we keep making it worse and worse and worse as it goes down. Whereas reflection, we stop, take a breath. A lot of these things are just stop and take a breath and say, okay, I have an issue at hands. I'm not going to go into a million what if situations. What do I need to do to understand, stabilize, and find a solution? Boundaries are a big one. How do we establish boundaries? Boundaries are good when you have, when they, when they align with your values, and ideally people respect them, but not everyone's going to respect your boundaries. So you have to ask yourself, what do you want to do when somebody does that? Do you want that person in your life? Do you want to talk to that person? Do you want to allow that person to maybe give their side of things? Or do you just want to say, hey, I don't appreciate the way you talk to me, the way that you're around me. This is something that I feel strongly about. And maybe you break certain relationships off, but understand that boundaries are really important. And I know I could go into a whole podcast episode about that. Maybe we will. But boundaries, big one that a lot of my clients really liked. Being upset at the situation. I do this a lot with my couples. A lot of the time we want to be mad at somebody. Well, she didn't put the dishes away. Well, he didn't pick up the toys from the kids. Well, she didn't, you know, say I love you before they walked out. So obviously they don't love me. Or he didn't, you know, finish the bathroom that he said he was going to finish a million years ago, right? A lot of the times we want to try to put blame on somebody else, but really we're mad at a situation that is out of our control. And so we try to blame the other person. Now, I'm not saying that this disbars personal responsibility. I'm a huge fan of accountability and personal responsibility. But as a couple, what can you do as a team to understand, okay, what's making this person forget to put the dishes away? What's making the delay in the bathroom getting done? And help understand to be on the same team. And maybe there's something that you can do to support your partner in something like that. So being upset at the situation, like, oh my gosh, we're mad at the fact that we have more dishes to do. Or that laundry is a never-ending, folding, freak fest. We're not mad at each other that we have to do the laundry again. We're mad at the fact that we hate doing freaking laundry. So let's team up against the laundry together and say, all right, we're going to knock this out together. You're going to knock it out and I do this. And then we're going to come together at the end of it. I've also been told that putting self in somebody else's shoes, such as just learning empathy or just saying like, you know, I've never thought of it from this angle. Instead of just berating somebody right away, say, I wonder why that person would say that or do that. How would I feel if I was in those shoes? And then being challenged and not being complacent. I'm told that I do a decent job of challenging in, in my sessions. And I really do like to challenge people because I think if we're left unchallenged, then yeah, we do become complacent in our life. So I think you could do this in real life by asking the people closest to you around you, hey, what's something that you think I struggle with that I'm not maybe aware of? And be prepared to maybe get a face full of hurt, but understand that maybe that person, hopefully, is coming from a good place in their heart. Whew. I think we got through them. 
first and foremost, before I sign off, I just want to thank you all for getting through that. I really hope that there was something in there that you can take away that maybe was beneficial. And I really, really have to thank my clients for those of you who actually put up with me, not only in session, but also listen to me on here. Whoa, you all are saints, but thank you so much for your feedback. I really hope that this can help some other people. And I I really care about you all and you are amazing human beings. And I'm happy to have the pleasure to have had worked with you or still work with you. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for sharing those things with me. It's also nice to know that some of the stuff that I spout off in sessions is actually sticking with people. So thank you. And dear listener, I thank you so much for sticking with us. 2023 and Ron and I are trying to come back full force, baby. So although you missed easily the better looking of the two in today's episode, thank you again. And we will talk to you soon. So thank you for listening to Money in the Mind, where we teach you to manage your money and not let it manage you. You really shouldn't have dug that out of the dumpster. I had to. Also, I had a banana on the way over here. Sorry. I get why you don't want anyone to know about Duke Silver, and you don't have to worry. Your secret is safe with me. To even it out, I'm gonna tell you all of my secrets. Oh no, that's not necessary. I once forgot to brush my teeth for five weeks. I didn't actually sell my last car, I just forgot where I parked it. I don't know who Al Gore is, and at this point I'm too afraid to ask. When they say 2% milk, I don't know what the other 98% is. When I was a baby, my head was so big, scientists did experiments on me. I once threw a beer at a swan, and then it attacked my niece, Rebecca. That'll do, Andrew.